morning, everybody, and welcome to the now 11th episode of the Los Chingones Baseball Club podcast, presented to you by MLB Trash Talkers and Stadium Beer Bros. Uh, we've got a fun one for you guys today. Uh, we usually do our recordings on Thursday evenings to hopefully have the episode out by Saturday morning or uh, Sunday, but this one, I promise you guys, this one's going to be worth it. We have a very special guest joining us this morning. Before I do that, I'm just going to go ahead and introduce our starting lineup. We're going to have some more uh, of the regular crew jumping on with us later, but let's see who's on. Zach, are you on? Yes, sir. Excited to talk to our guests. Excited to get to the last couple teams in the NL West. Ready to rock and roll. Good morning, and thank you for being on with us today. Andrew. Hey, what's up, Ricky? Man, it feels weird with the sun out recording, huh? It Uh, is. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I feel like a lot of us are enjoying some coffee off the bat instead of some beers like normal. I think we've had a lot of time to have some morning beers over the last few months, so I'm ready to get this going today. Absolutely, Andrew. Thank you so much for being on. Hey, Sue, see you there. Yeah, I'm on. Thanks for having me back on. Excited to talk to our guests and talk the last two teams in the NOS. You guys are the normal people. I decided to keep the tradition going and got my uh, phantom bride for this morning. Uh, nice. From <laughs> Beaver. But I'm only having one just because I mean, I need a function for the rest of the day. But I'm excited to talk to our guests and excited to be on. Thank you so much, Jesus. It's great to have you on. Uh, enjoy your breakfast beer. And as for me, uh, I am your host, Ricardo Ortega. It's great to have everybody listening on today. As for me, no beer today. I'm actually working on an iced coffee from Starbucks. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and introduce our special guest today. We have Tony Gwynn Jr., former Milwaukee Brewer, San Diego Padre, Los Angeles Dodgers, and Philadelphia Philly. It's great to have you on, Tony. You there today? I am. Thank you guys for uh, having me on. I'm excited to uh, get down on this conversation. Before we kind of go into our Q&A today, I do want to give a quick uh, special shout out uh, to somebody who has become kind of like our unofficial PR person. She was the one that did reach out to you. So I want to go ahead and thank Valerie Ruiz at Stadium Food Girl on Instagram. Thank you, Valerie. And, uh, thank you again, Tony, for joining us today. I know uh, you've got a lot on your schedule, on your plate. So uh, for you to take some time out of your Saturday morning means a lot to us. No, no problem. Shout out to Valerie, too, because... Uh... She was persistent, and, uh, <laughs> you know, she explained what you guys were doing. I was definitely intrigued, so she did a good job. Let's go and open up the floor. I'm excited. Who wants to lead off? So I was going to get a little personal with you, my man. So okay. uh, your dad was a legendary figure in San Diego sports history, and you were a professional athlete as well. What's it like being a professional athlete, having kids, and trying to instill your love and passion for the game you played, but also kind of let them kind of find their own space. I know, you know, following you on social media, your daughters are really into soccer. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that you probably tried to push them softball, but at the same time, you know, as a dad, I, I, I'm going to have, I want to have children one day and I want to just put a bat in their hands, but how do you kind of let them do their own thing? Your dad, he was a baseball man. He was a legend. You know, it worked out for you because you had a passion for baseball as well. And uh, right. I was just hoping you could shed some light on what it is to be a professional athlete and have children and try not to yeah. put too much pressure on them. Right. No, it's, it's a delicate balance, to be honest with you. I learned a great deal from my dad as I grew up. One of the things I learned over time before I had my children of my own was he allowed, in particularly with the game of baseball, he allowed me to come to it on my own. Now, I was around it a lot. You know, it, it wasn't like it had to be forced in the first place. I was in the clubhouse a lot after I turned nine. And really, 
I enjoyed that. Now, in terms of playing the game myself, I think my dad recognized that having the same name, playing the same sport, there's some obstacles there. And I think he recognized that if there was too much pressure put on me, it could actually push me away from the game. Uh, Baseball is tough because there's so much failure in it. As a position player, there's a lot of failure. And when you have so much failure, you're going to have to gain a love on your own because If you're playing through your parents or you're playing for reasons other than the fact that you love the game itself, all that failure over time stacks up on you and you become less involved, less in love with this game. So my dad was, it was a different story in basketball. He was, he never forced me towards any sports. Like he kind of let me be me. And listen, in the nineties, it was a lot different than it is now, right? It wasn't so many year-round sports. Like when it was basketball season, you played basketball, baseball, and so on and so forth. So it was a lot easier for parents at that point. But coming up in 2020, as a parent of my own, I try to take the same approach. The thing I am hard on them about is how they work at whatever it is they want. So with soccer for the girls, I don't know enough to really be telling them what to do and how to do it. My wife, on the other hand, does. so. I leave that portion to her, but when it comes to getting in reps and doing whatever it is they need to do to get better, I'm, I'm, I'm hard on And that's because I recognize how far work ethic got me. I wasn't as talented as my father swinging the bat, but my work ethic allowed me to play eight years at the major league level. So I try to install that in them, but in terms of putting the love in it for them, I can't do that. And I have that conversation with them all the time. Like, listen, I can't, I shouldn't have to be telling you, you need to go outside and juggle and and do those things. If you don't want it on your own, all the goals that you guys tell me about, you know, wanting to go to Stanford and play soccer, that can't happen. You have to take it upon yourself to want to work. I say, like, what have we, what have we learned in the passing of Kobe? Because that's that's the guy who I followed growing up. What we learned is that this dude was a singular focus about whatever it was he was doing, whether it was basketball, whether it was what he was doing after basketball, and look what kind of stuff he put together because of it. So I try to install some of those things and watch the approach that my dad had with me in terms of of, of parenting and them in sports. Yeah, Tony, bringing up Kobe Bryant, you know, that was unbelievable when that happened, man. I went up to L.A. that night to go to the memorials, and, you know, I've never seen something like that, like the sports community. I can't even imagine how many Clippers fans were out there that night, you know, just paying respects to the guy because, like, I'm not the biggest Laker fan myself, but, you know, I respected the guy's craft. I respected his dedication. Who can't get behind a guy who just wants to go out and work hard at something like that resonates with everybody. That's not just your elite athlete. That's everybody. And people can get behind and attach themselves to that. Exactly. And, you know, Kobe was just a larger than life figure, man. And, you know, there's different kinds of those kind of figures. Kobe was so out there, you know, he was out there in the media, out there in different ventures. Your pops was larger than life, too, just in his own way, you know, like he was more low key. He was staying home in San Diego his whole life and then going to San Diego State, where obviously I'm sure he had other opportunities, but he stayed true to himself, stayed true to the city. And I love that. But like I said, there's just different types of athletes being out there, being themselves. And Kobe was one way. Your pops is another way. And, you know, there's no right way to do it. But, you know, no, no, figures. They're, they're not. I think you bring up a good point. Like, my dad had a lot of different opportunities. I mean, I think he, they wanted them to come on to the late night show on a couple different occasions. And 
that just wasn't his style. Like I would try to push him like, go ahead. I mean, why wouldn't you want to go do something like be on the Tonight Show? Like, what what do you mean? Go on Leno. Why wouldn't you want to do that? But that just wasn't his style. What wasn't something he was interested in. And you're right. I think my dad became a larger than life figure here in San Diego because the people here feel like he's one of them because he went to San Diego State, got drafted by the Padres, came up through the system, became a star. And when he had opportunity to cash it in and go someplace else, he didn't do it. People like loyalty. They like to feel like they're wanted. And that goes for fans too, right? Like it's not just individual people. Like goes out to, to everybody. And I think they just appreciate it. But the reality is my dad genuinely loved it here. He didn't want to go anywhere else. And trust me, I, that last year, his last free agency, I was begging him to go somewhere. They had just come off the World Series. They had started moving all the pieces that helped him get to the World Series. And he had an opportunity to sign with the Indians. And I'm like, this will be your last shot to win a World Series. I was like, your knees are betraying you at this point. You know you're not going to be able to play too much longer. But he wasn't interested in that. And as I got older, I understood why. I mean, I think there is something to be said for somebody who gets to spend their whole career in one place. You're unique in your own way at that point because there's just not a lot of that. You got my mind racing there, man, because I'm sitting there going, man, so you're telling me your pops could have been hitting in front of Manny Ramirez, Jim Tomey? That he probably, that's what I'm saying. And he could have DH. He wouldn't even have to play the outfield. Could you imagine being in that lineup? I mean, even at even at the age of what we've been, he would have been 39 at that point. He probably could have put together a career year. Less wear and tear on his knee in the outfield. He probably gets through a whole lot more games than he did in 99. Because he's only swinging a bat. It would have been cool, but he wasn't interested in that. There was an end goal that he had in mind that at the age of 17, I couldn't see. Yeah, I think everyone respects the fact that he played his whole career in San Diego because he literally is a part of the fabric of what San Diego is, especially, you know, Padres history and Padres culture. He is the player that we can claim as our own. He's a Hall of Famer. But outside of being a Hall of Fame baseball player, he was a Hall of Fame person. I know that you can hear countless stories about people that interacted with him just running into him on the street and he was always super respectful, super willing to take a picture, say hello, shake your hand. He was one of the most genuine individuals and he really was the embodiment of what San Diego sports should be and what San Diego lifestyle is. And um, man, we're, we're sad that he's not here anymore, man. It's yeah. Just... I, I appreciate the kind words, you know, he quite simply, he, he just, he loved people. He loved people. He liked to be, he liked his time alone, but when he was out and about, he recognized that as the type of figure he was, specifically in San Diego, there was a, a responsibility that came with that. That was important to him. One of our members of the podcast who couldn't join us this morning, unfortunately, he did want me to say this to you on his behalf. He says, um, tell Tony that his dad was like a superhero to me growing up on how he hit as how, you know, I looked at Michael Jordan when it came to basketball. Just to show you the influence and the legacy that he has left on all of us personally. Tell him I appreciate that. Tell him I appreciate that. Hey, Tony. Uh, Jesus here. Uh, I just want to ask you a question about your baseball career. So we know that you played with the Brewers, the Padres, the Dodgers, the Philadelphia Phillies. I just want to know, what was your most memorable moment from playing in each team, if you could recall? Yeah, uh, oh, yeah I yeah. can recall. As, as a Brewer, it was the hit off of Trevor. Uh, huh! in, in the- <laughs> in 07 yeah. uh, as a Padre it was really the whole 09 season 
getting traded here. Let me rephrase it. It was really just my time in San Diego. Like being a part of those two years of turning it around to the point where we are a game away from winning the division um, was pretty sweet. And that was really the first opportunity I had to play every day. That first year in 09, when I got here, we were terrible. Like we were bad. Move PV out. They bring in Clayton Richards. We get a, a whole bunch of guys. And like at that point, the second half of the season, if I'm not mistaken, we had like the best record in baseball going into that 2010 season. And we came into that season like really believing we could do some things, right? And nobody else was thinking about the Padres at that time. I mean, Adrian was still here. We had Eckstein. We had Kuz, you know. But other than that, we didn't really have any like superstars. It was just a team that vibed well. And then late toast comes up a little bit after the season starts, and we just took off. If Jerry Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt, I think we, we end up winning that division because we don't play so poorly in August. But in L.A., it was the following season uh, in 11. Coming back home, San Diego, because I'm not going to lie, I was, I was a little salty that uh, I got non-tender after that 2010 year so. I came in to that first series against the Padres really just wanted to do some damage. I had a good series. So that's probably the moment I remember most from the Dodgers. I think I got to say just the 11 year that Kent probably should have won the MVP. Uh, Yeah, thank you. She should have won the MVP. Watching him almost put up a 40-40 season was pretty sweet, pretty spectacular. And then in Philly, the moment I I think I remember most is a standing ovation after I came back from the passing of my pop. That's the moment that sticks out most. But that was a cool year, too. I know we didn't play very well, but I was on a team with, like, some alpha dogs, like Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, Cole Hamels, A.J. Burnett, Ryan Howard. There was just a lot of, a lot of talent there. We just didn't gel well. So what were the expectations like? Uh, I know Philly, obviously, at that time, deep in contention. What was the atmosphere like? There's a lot of pressure on us. So how do, uh, how do we make it work? Probably like the last hurrah, right? Like, Chase is towards the back end of his career. Jimmy's towards the back. Everybody's really towards the back end of their career. They're still phenomenal players, though. Uh, But this is probably going to be the last shot. And I had to make the roster. I went in as a non-roster invitee that year, and I had to make the roster. I wasn't necessarily worried about that. I knew I I was going to be all right. Just have to go out and perform. But it just got off to a bad start, man. Like, in spring training, you know, you have your first meeting. And Ryan Sandberg was our manager at that point. I knew it was going to be an issue because the first meeting he told, and this is a veteran team. Everybody has kids. Like every, most of these dudes have kids that are, you know, old enough to be in a clubhouse, running around, doing the same things I did growing up. When Rhino said they weren't going to allow kids, it just turned, turned bad. Like the meeting got over and I remember, I think it was Cliff Lee, like his son was always in there. And he was just like, you just could tell it wasn't, it wasn't received well in the locker room. I was, I was new there. So I was more observing, even though I was veteran at this time, I was more just this observant. And you just got the vibe like they wasn't feeling that. And Rhino would later bench Jimmy during spring training, which was kind of mind blowing. It's like sending him a message. It's spring training. Like it's early in spring training. These guys, most of the older guys want to build up. Anyway, so things like that happen that early in a season, it just doesn't work out. And it never gelled. And, you know, there's a lot of finger pointing. It was, it was a rough year. But going back uh, to the hit you got off Hoffman, one of our friends, uh, you actually answered it without 
me asking it, but I just want to know what was going through your mind from stepping up to the plate and getting a hit off the ball and running the bases? What was going through your mind when you got that double? We had just been eliminated the night before from Padres. And when I got in that day, I expected that I was going to be in the starting lineup. I was like, all right, we've been eliminated now. Because I was still a young dude at that point. I wasn't really that young. I was 25. I've been eliminated, so I'm probably going to get a chance to start, right? The season is pretty much over. But that wasn't Ned's thinking at the time. Milwaukee hadn't finished 500 or better in a long, long time. And so in his mind, season was still going. We want to we win these games. And selfishly, I was like, I want to start, you know, in my mind. I didn't say nothing, but I'm thinking to myself, damn that. We only got a couple games left. He's like, throw me a bone. Let me let me start. So I was a little irritated that whole day because I, I wasn't in the lineup. But as that inning unfolded, I'm always ready, but it wasn't like I was told ahead of time I was going to hit. Uh, it wasn't until Lance Nick started walking up to the plate that Ned said, hey, you're on deck. So I got my stuff. And I was already kind of hovering around there. You I had had enough time at the big league level to know to get a feel for when you're going to be used. You know, you just you if you're paying attention to the game, you just can kind of get a feel. You're looking at the matchups and whatnot. So I go out on deck, and as I step into the little on deck circle, it dawns on me what is at stake. How this is going to optically look, right? Like Tony Gwynn's son, Mr. Padre could knock these dudes or at least delay the chance for them to clinch a title like the irony of that right so that dawns on me as I step on the on deck circle but now it's time to lock in and I look out I mean obviously I know Trevor's on the mound if there's anybody that I know like the back of my hand because I've watched it for so long up close and personal I've talked to him on many occasions it's this dude so although he's top two closers in the league maybe even number one at the time in my mind, there was there was more comfort because I was prepared, you know. So I start to watch the bat against Lance Nix. I think he gets seven straight change-ups, punches him out with the bases loaded, or might have been second and third, first and third. And as I'm walking up to the plate, the things that's going through my mind is, okay, he's throwing six straight change-ups. Is he really going to throw a seven? You're deciphering this as, you, as I'm walking to the plate. And I'm thinking, I said, okay, he's throwing six, or why wouldn't he throw seven? But then I could hear my dad's voice in the back of my head saying, you got to stay on the fastball, adjust down to everything else. So I get in the box. It took me about a pitch to kind of get my legs underneath me. You know, it's, it's a nerve-wracking moment for everybody. I know I'm a professional, but still a human being. And at this point, don't have all that much experience to really lean on a situation like this from my past. So take the first pitch change up down, swing through the second one, foul off the third. And it's one, two, he's thrown now nine straight changeups. And I'm like, all right, high likelihood of changeups coming, but I got I to gotta be prepared for the heater first. And so he throws a changeup. He left it just up enough because I was still out. I was still out front, but my hand stayed back long enough and I flipped it down the right field line. And <laughs> the backstory is the way I'm getting home is with the Moors who own the Padres. So we got two games left in the series. I'm flying back with them uh, on their plane in order to get home. As I'm diving in the third base, I see the Moors right behind the Padre dugout. And their faces are just like, I can't believe this has happened. And I'm thinking to myself, I hope I still have a ride home at this point. You know what I'm saying? It was a cool moment, though. I mean, 
I get to dock that in my book as one of the dopest things I've ever done. I got a, a big hit off of a Hall of Famer, you know, kind of set the stage for my career to progress. I would say that in that twist of irony, that's got to be like the most San Diego thing to happen to us. <laughs> we, I would agree. I would agree. We, and then, of course, we all know what happened in game 163. And I, I got to ask you this. Uh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then Matt Holiday goes to the Cardinals, too. And then the Cardinals kill us. So it's like, man, we right. can't get away from this guy. Trust me, that happened. I was like begging for the Padres to win because I lived in Mission Beach at the time. And when I, Mission Beach is, you know, a spot where everybody's walking around. You're not driving anywhere. So you have a lot of communication with people. And there were some salty people in Mission Beach after I got that hit, right? So I'm praying, like, please go to the playoffs. I don't want this to be a rough winter in off season for me. I would like to enjoy it. When they lost, I was like, damn, this is gonna be a long off season. But it wasn't that long. They they uh everybody cooled off on it. I'm still hurting, but we can laugh about it now. <laughs> I remember just sitting in front of my TV for game one sixty three. I was I was sixteen and I remember just sitting there in front of my TV just screaming, just in tears. No, he did not touch home plate. He did not touch home plate. He did not touch home he plate. He did not touch home and but you know what it's the Padres fault though they, they got swept by the Rockies in that home series and that was what made those games even important in Milwaukee they shouldn't even have been important they had a huge lead yeah, Tony did you have any like uh previous experience against Trevor you know batting practice wise or anything before that no I, I used to when I was younger when I was like probably my dad's last year there would be guys throwing uh, live BP coming off the injury. And I got in there a few times. But that's what let me know early on that I could handle it. I mean, it also helped that San Diego high school baseball at that time was like one of the most legit places in the United States. I think that year oh, they yeah. had like San Diego County itself had four first round picks in that 2000 draft when I came out. So wow. I was getting a chance to kind of test myself against some big leaguers. So when I was facing these guys in, in high school who were throwing 90, 92, 93, I'm like, okay, I can handle this. I've seen this before. But I didn't have any specific practice off of Trevor. I, I just strictly from watching and paying attention to what he does. Were you uh, growing up around the same time playing high school ball against guys like Cole Hamels and Hank Boylock? So Cole was a freshman when I was a senior. Hank was a year older so I faced when I was a junior I believe he was a senior yeah those guys were dogs man they had they, that Ranch Bernardo was I don't know if I ever we ever beat them when I was at Poway like they were a juggernaut must have been the only teams you guys lost to because uh Poway from what I remember just smoked the whole county <laughs> most years we were pretty good we that I think my junior year they had um they had a good squad, but my senior year, they had a really good – I think that was the year they had Scott Hurd. I mean, and, and he was the catcher that people were talking about, like, at the age of nine. Like, that's how touted he was. They had a squad. No, no, Vista was good. Baseball was just – it was just different. There were a lot of really, really – and there's still a lot of really, really good players. But there's so many more schools now that it, it's kind of diluted because everybody spread out. Whereas at that time, it was like North County – everybody had was, was legit like there wasn't a lot of bad teams in North Carolina. Zach and I are both uh, San Marcos high alumni class of 2010. Did you ever get a chance to play against them? We did. You guys might have been one of the weaker teams. 
time. No, no offense. Don't, don't be no, 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 no. I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm a Fallbrook Kyle alumni, and I'm sure Fallbrook was maybe a little weaker. We're a small town. No, 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 no. Fallbrook was, Fallbrook was decent. Fallbrook was oh, decent. Uh, San Marcos, San Marcos <laughs> is good now, though. They got a pretty good squad now. I know. I was going to say, have you seen that campus recently? Oh, my gosh. What? Are you serious? We drove by that bad boy to go to the soccer team, and I was, like, blown away. I was like, that looks like a, a junior college right now. Yeah, it's like an East Coast high school. All indoors. Right. It's going to rain too indoors. much. I, I, mean, I got more I mean, of a, like, prison vibe. It was, like, half prison, half university. <laughs> but uh, I, 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 it's, it's weird to see a, an indoor school like that. Like, you just don't, you don't see it very often here in San Diego. So, Tony, I wanted to take you back to draft day a little bit. Coming into the second round, you know, you kind of have an idea about, like, the ballpark that you're going to go position-wise in the draft. Obviously, all of us in San Diego, we're looking at the draft board, and you're like, yeah, all right, this might happen. And, yeah, yeah. you know, the obviously the Brewers end up selecting you. Knowing your dad, obviously, he's one of the guys that probably comes out and says, oh, man, I'm happy for you no matter what. No problem. You know, I'm sure you were the same way. You were just happy to be drafted by any organization, start your career. But, you know, was there anybody in the house, maybe your mom, who was like, oh, man, I can't believe he's going to have to move away. Your pops was here for his whole life. Your family grew up here. You went to high school here. You stayed here for college, went to San Diego State. So, you know, how was yeah. that for you? Was that in the back of your mind? Yeah, man. At that point, man, you got a lot of different things going through your mind. Uh, for me, specifically, I hadn't really been out of California other, you know, longer than a, a week, you know, and that's usually it was on a road trip with my dad when he was playing. So you have that part of you that's kind of fearful of the unknown of what it's like to live by yourself and you don't know where you're going. My goal at the time was I wanted to be, here's the thing, it was weird because I got drafted in 2000 out of Poway, 33rd round. They offered me fourth round money, but the luxury that I had was that I had been around big leaguers my entire life. So there was a honest evaluation of myself by myself. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I understood what it would take in order to do it. And I knew at 17, I wasn't mentally or physically ready to go be a, a minor leaguer and play every day and, and live by myself. And at that point, I didn't even really left the house that much. So I needed to go to college and I was still salty, though, that I got drafted in the third round. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I knew I was a much better player than that, but I think people shied away because at the time I had a scholarship to Cal State Fullerton. So I was already committed there, and I think obviously I slid because they didn't think of, you know, I, I wasn't a signable type of guy. So I was salty about that. And my whole goal once I got to state, I was on a mission. Like, I'm, I'm going to improve my draft stock to be a first-round pick. And that was a goal. I don't, I don't really care where it is in the first round. I want to be a first-round pick. So that whole draft process, I thought I was going to be a White Sox for a while. They were picking like mid of the first round, maybe back first round. When I got by them, I thought there might be a chance in Seattle from what I had heard. But once we got past them, I didn't really have a whole lot of conversations with guys in terms of first round. Two Milwaukee had a high first round pick. They liked me a lot, but Ricky Weeks was a Golden Spikes Award winner. So even I would take that pick first in that particular situation. Um, I had played with Ricky in the USA team, the tryout. I knew how good he was. So it wasn't a surprise and I didn't take it as a knock. But we got to that second round and my uncle Chris called and he was like, hey man, if you're there, we're taking you. So at this point, I'm like, cool. Because the thing I looked at prior to the draft was 
I looked at everybody's roster. I looked at whose organization would I get an opportunity to go through if I'm successful. And Padres were, were one of them. Milwaukee was another one. And I knew from research that they had drafted the year before another player of a former player, drafted Prince Fielder. So I didn't know Prince at all at that point. But I'm like, all right, this team, they got a bunch of young dudes already going there. Well, let's see what happens. So Chris says he's about, they're going to take me. Two picks before, the Brewers snatched me up. And so I was I was cool. And I just remember my dad calling me and like, yo, don't haggle around with signing bonuses. You can't make no real money anyway until you get the big one. So basically he was telling me, hurry up and sign, get the plan, you can move through the system fast. So I took his advice. Uh, I got, we got it done in about, this was back in 2003. Negotiations took a little longer at that point than they do now. So I got it done by, I think, end of June. I took a flight to Beloit, and so it began. But Chris Chris was probably upset because, you know, he, was, he he had me paid. And I think my mom was more upset that I was leaving. She wasn't going to have me around for large periods of time. My dad, he just honestly wasn't tripping about that kind of stuff. He was just so laid back. Only time I ever seen him like really aggressive when it came to baseball stuff was the first time a, a scout came to the house and wanted to sit down and talk. One of the brave scouts came in and they ended up drafting me ultimately. But and that was actually the conversation after they drafted me in high school. He comes to the house to try to sign me, and my dad is just giving him like the business. I mean, he's just grilling him about everything. And at the end, he left and was like, "It's up to you, son." But I already knew I didn't. I wasn't ready. I just knew it. I think that's a key thing, self-awareness, man, having that awareness to know that, you know, there's a lot of kids that age that don't have the self-awareness and they take whatever, you know, opportunity they can get to be a professional baseball player as soon as possible. And the truth is not ready for it. And their development takes that much longer. They don't. Or they don't develop. It's a interesting line to tell. And I'm sure you were better prepared for it because your dad was a major leaguer because you had a little bit more experience just being in that environment, even at a young age. I wanted to circle back, you know, you played for a few different franchises in major league baseball, which teammate that you had was the best athlete. Um, And I think I know who you might say, but I I think it's D Gordon. Oh, really? Who do you think I was going to say? I thought you were going to say Matt Kemp. No, Matt's a good athlete. I thought you were going to say CC Sabathia. CC's a good athlete, too. Uh, but no, D is the most explosive athlete I've ever been around. Like, at his size, I've seen this dude on the court, on the hoop court before. He's just, he could, I mean, when you think of athlete, you think of running, you think of jumping. You just think of, like, explosive things. And, and he is literally one of the most explosive dudes I have been around. Matt's a really good athlete. CeCe's a good athlete. But these, I think, is, is probably one of the best athletes I've been around. One of my favorite pictures from, I guess, man, that was a while ago now, was when you were at Dodger Stadium standing there with Dee and Tom and you and your dad on the pitcher's mound. Oh, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. I yeah, love yeah. that picture. That picture is awesome. I have that one hung up here at, at the house of us throwing out the first pitch. It might have been Father's Day, something around those times, and they had us throw out the first pitch. It was pretty sweet current day baseball and our beloved San Diego Padres, man. And my general question is going to be, what does this team need to do to get to the playoffs? I think they have all the pieces in the system. They might not all be in the major leagues just yet, but at the same time, I think we're all wondering, you know, from your perspective, what's going to get this team to the next level? I think they have the pieces to do it, to get to a playoffs or win a, a playoff spot. 
wild card spot. Because we have to be honest, the Dodgers didn't get worse from last year to this year. They got better. And so did the Padres. But the gap that the Padres seemed like they were starting to kind of chip away at, it got a little bigger. It got a little bigger because Dodgers made the moves they made. And even if it's just for this year, and listen, at least on, let me, let me rephrase it, on paper, it, it made the gap bigger. You don't know how things are going to blend, especially in a season that's going to be a little different than what we're used to this year, hopefully. I think they have a piece. They're going to need their pitchers to step up, like Jared Richards, if he can have a, a good year uh, and healthy year. I think that'll go a long way. In terms of rotation, I hope that they give Garrett Richards the ball at the top of the rotation. Not that I don't think Chris is good enough to be at the top of rotation. I don't necessarily believe that it's necessary to put that kind of heat on him right now. Let him turn into the ace that we all think he's going to be. I know Garrett Richards has ace stuff and can be an ace when healthy. And he's got the experience. So I would like to see him at the top of the rotation followed by Chris. And if they get the pitching with those three, Richards, Paddock, Lamette, if they get those three to be like real one, two, threes, it goes a long way in terms of how good this Padres team can be. Because What about Joey Lucchese? Joey, listen, Joey, I like Joey a lot. Uh, he wasn't pitching that well in spring. He was not having a good spring. It seemed like he was still trying to find it, what he was trying to do. So I think he's going to be – He's going to be in competition for that fifth spot in the rotation. I think Zach Davies will be the number four, a guy you know you can get when healthy, you're going to get innings out of. Right. He doesn't have to – he's not overpowering. Um, I think the Padres' bullpen has a chance to be one of the best bullpens in baseball. It's one of the deepest bullpens in baseball. It, it reminds me a lot of the, the, the 2010 bullpen where you had A squad and a B squad. So – when the Gregerson, Adams, Bell had gone three straight days, you had Ernesto Ferreri, you had Mujica, you had like six or seven guys you could depend on that could get the job done. Padres have like five or six arms that can get the job done. And their depth there is amazing. So I like their chances if the pitching does what it's supposed to do. Because I, I think Manny's going to have a, a ridiculous year. I think Tatis is going to just continue to grow. I don't know if it's going to look exactly like last year, but that was also, you got to remember, that was in half a season. He didn't even get a full season. He didn't get a chance to, to kind of go through that grind, have some ups and downs. I don't remember Tatis struggling at all. I can't yeah, think of a either. time where, where he went longer than maybe two games without a hit, like at all. And that was rare. So I, I, I think they got a chance. The Diamondbacks got better too. So I could see three teams coming out of the West. And that's the thing. The national nobody got really better in the National League. Like nobody like improved significantly, other than maybe the Dodgers and the I mean, I can't think of a team that got better. I know the Braves added some pieces, but they also lost Donaldson. You know what I'm saying? So I'm it's gonna be especially with the short season, it's gonna be wide open and if the pitching hits the ground running, fires the guys they got a shot to win the wild card. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, I still can't believe the Padres were able to manage that Emilio Pagan trade because that one just completely solidified that bullpen to a different level. And, you know, like apparently you got some good relations going on with the Tampa Bay Rays because I don't know if AJ Pro is buddies with them or what, but did some business this offseason for sure. Yeah, just giveaways. (laughs) My Uncle Chris actually drafted Pagan. So, because I didn't know this, I, I had went down there for spring to do our show, and we were walking by, and you know, I kind of introduced myself, and he said, 
hey, how's Chris? And it like got me, startled me. I was like, well, how do you know my uncle? He's like, oh, he drafted me in Seattle. It was like, all right. So I, I kind of did my background with, with my uncle Chris. He's like, man, this dude, he's electric, man. He's got some good stuff. He said once he figured out, he didn't. And it was funny because I ended up having a conversation with Emilio and he mentioned that I was asking him about his success. He mentioned it. So once I figured out, I couldn't just throw it by everybody started having some success and when i talked to my uncle he said literally verbatim the same exact thing yeah yeah once he stopped uh thinking he could throw fastballs by everybody he, he started getting better but yeah that 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 move was huge and um yeah man i think i just have a, a belief after watching them in spring and watching how jace handled them watching his staff out there i mean just a little background like bobby dickerson one of the assistants they brought in bench coach I played against him as a manager in double A coming up. Dude's a nut, man. Like, he doesn't care who you are, how much you're making. If you're not doing it the right way, he's on your head. Wayne Kirby's the same way. And, and so Jace has a good support staff that I think can help him really succeed and, and guide these guys the right way. Do you have another question about this current roster? A lot of people, it's, I don't, I, my personal opinion is the dude's a stud and I want him on my team. And I think he's an amazing baseball player. Is Manny Machado misunderstood? Yeah. Manny's definitely misunderstood. First of all, I don't, who doesn't want Manny Machado on the team? I, I need to meet these people because that is I, the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. I don't understand it either. And I'm just telling you, like I grew up around here. A lot of my friends and acquaintances are Padres fans, but they're more casual fans. And what oh, they okay. remember, what they remember is Manny Machado stepping on Jesus Aguilar's foot in that playoff game and everyone blowing it up proportion. And everyone thinks he's not, you know, the Johnny Hustle comment, which, oh my gosh, if you talk to the, if you talk to the old get off my lawn baseball fan, they hate that comment. They're like, this dude doesn't care about baseball. And I'm like, I think he's really misunderstood because I think he works hard. I think he loves playing the game. Uh -oh. And I think, yeah. I think it's amazing that everyone considers last year a down year for him. And he hit 32 home runs, 82 ribbies, 85, you know, runs, whatever. Like that's a down year. With no, no, I don't understand with, it. With no one getting on base. Like, well, you got a dude like Tommy Pham you can put in front of him now, if you so choose, who's on base literally. Every at-bat I saw in spring training was 3-2. I, I promise you on everything. There was not one at-bat I watched that he played where he didn't get the 3-2 and at least saw five or six pitches. Like, this dude was – I mean, he's, he's, he's that good getting on base. But, I, I listen, Manny, those who played the game understand what Manny – was saying with the Charlie Hustle, he might have used poor choice of words, but he might have wanted to use those words. Regardless, those who play know what he's talking about. You get a guaranteed 158 games out of Manny Machado every season. Can you say that about anybody else really in baseball, getting that many games? He shows up to work with his lunch pail every game. And you can't get through seasons like that going full tilt every single day that is that is just now can you run down the line and make it appear as though you're going 100 percent? yeah but i'm willing to exchange that for a guy that's going to show up to work every day and, and come and, and produce the way he produced as you said he finished what 30 homers 82 rbis what did he hit 260 range which 260 is a down year which, for him but which is which is only down about seven eight points from his career average so i mean okay he might have had daniel swinging but he got you the 30 homers that he gets every year. Had we had a little more um, base, 
which is what we tried to address this offseason, getting guys who get on base, probably has more RBI. And, I mean, Hav ate up most of his RBIs anyway. He had 99. So, listen, that that is not the issue. I mean, you get guys on base, and listen, this is going to be a year where now he's got a better idea of what pitchers are in this National League that he's going to have to face. He came over in June. They didn't face everybody in NL at that point. And so he's, got, he's getting used to a new league. And I think he's going to have a big year this year. I really do. People, casual fans have a tendency to base their belief off of headlines. And that's why, you know, I love casual fans. But when it comes to real baseball stuff, most of them I can't give too much credence to. The other thing is everyone looks at the contract and they're trying to justify the money, which, right. you know, this is, this country was founded on like opportunity. Go get yours. You know what I mean? Go earn. And he did that. And I got to tell you, there's going to be bigger contracts and it's going to just continue to extrapolate as years go by. And that's how it works. We're in a U.S. economy where if you offer a and you kill it at that service, you're going to get paid. Guys in the future are going to continue to make more and more money. You know, you can't get mad at a guy for accepting a contract like that. Would anyone, any of these people turn down $300 million? Absolutely not. It's not his no. fault. That's the valuation the Padres gave him. Nor should you entertain turning down $300 million. That, that is just ridiculous. Okay. I think people who watch the game have a tendency to kind of pigeonhole everybody into that category of, okay, well, he's making this much. So the performance level Remember, he had to do something in order to get that contract. It's not really the opposite way. Maybe it should. You can argue that, that it could possibly be that way, but it's not that way. That's not how any of the sports work. You get paid based on your performance. That's just why you see so many guys put up their best year right before they go into free agency because that is the goal. You, you're trying to cash in. This is a, I know we watch sports and we look at 10 years like a long time. This is a small period of time in one's life that they can maximize the monetary value that they can get. You get a small period of time to do it. And if you don't capitalize, that window's gone, and now you got to do it the hard way. One more question for me. I like to know like, what goes through people's heads when like, they have a father who's in the big leagues, NFL, whatever. How was it for you growing up with a major league dad going to school and how was it being in the dugout with your dad and like just walking around and seeing all those major league players in terms of what it was like being in the dugout i mean just think if you were like a bookworm right and you got to go to like the best library in the country that, that's mm -hmm. pretty much what being in the dugout is it's a, it's a library of information of something that i want and i had was fortunate enough to be around some really good books right ricky henderson i picked his brain a lot the artist, the stolen base, leads off lefties, all different things I picked his brain. Steve Finley, who I think is one of the most underrated defensive outfielders ever due to play. We don't talk about him enough when we talk about defensive outfielders. I mean, obviously he did damage offensively too, but got to pick his brain. Getting to, I mean, there's just so much stuff. Going to all-star games, getting to hear Barry Bonds and my dad go back and forth about bottom hand, top hand. Like, I mean, Barry, in my mind, Barry's one of the best to ever do it. I don't care about none of the other side notes. Dude was amazing. Like, you had to make pitches. If you didn't, he hit it up the ballpark every time. But that part, I mean, it, it's just like, like being able to be around a bunch of knowledge that if you're smart, you try to acquire it. In terms of school, man, I was very cognizant as a kid of having the stigma removed that, oh, 
Tony Gwynn's son. He thinks he's better than because you know that's what people want to think. They I don't know if they want to, but that's what a lot of people go to immediately. And so as a youngster, I was very cognizant of that, and I probably went out of my way to make people think that I wasn't stuck up or any of those type of things as a kid. I do have one last question for you, Tony, going back to, you know, your experience and, you know, picking some of the brains of some of the players like Ricky Henderson. Damn, Andrew, long hair don't care, man. I didn't even see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me pull it down for you, man. Yeah, you know, uh, I was, I actually had my hair down uh, for Fan Fest and the Padres posted me in my giant ass Chris Paddock hat on their Instagram. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah they did. Yeah, I remember that. That's that. yeah. that what's up, man. I'm sorry, Ricardo, go ahead, man. No worries. You picking the brains of some of the players like Ricky Henderson, Steve Finley. Uh, one of my favorite players uh, in the 90s, on that, especially on that 98 roster, was Quilvio Veras. I think a guy mm-hmm. that, who's very little talked about. Uh, you know, they used to refer to him as Little Man. And uh, me playing Little League Baseball, I was always kind of like the smallest guy on the team. Did you have the high tops with the pants tucked in the high tops like you? I had the stirrups, you know, the, 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 so, uh, you know, I was always the guy, you know, at the, in the team photo, the smallest guy in the corner, kind of just, you know, maybe a foot shorter than the rest of them. So uh, I was just wondering if you, you ever had the chance to interact with him. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Quilvio, I mean, he hit in the leadoff spot and that was, you know, growing up, that's where I was hitting most of the time. So I used to watch him. Quilvio was really quiet. He didn't talk a whole lot, man. He, he, he was about his work put on that smile every once in a while, but he really was quiet. But I, I would talk to him a little bit, uh, but I was really watching him a lot. How he put together a bat. He could run, he'd get on base, steal you a base. He had some hamstring issues, I want to say, in that 98 year. Um, yeah, of course. Like, again, like, that's the luxury of being in that clubhouse. Even when somebody's not directly talking to you, if you're paying attention, you can learn something. Uh, I, I used to sit, because, you know, a lot of starting pitchers were – not doing anything they were usually on the bench I would talk to Andy Ashby all the time about cutter how he threw his cutter you know when Steve Stewart was there in that year as a pitching coach everybody was throwing a split so I I wanted to learn how they were throwing the split and so yeah man uh, everybody on those teams especially at that point because at that point I was a little bit older and you know I was less afraid of asking questions than maybe when I was younger I picked up so much from those dudes man Definitely not talked about as much as you should be. Tony, you talked about Ricky Henderson teaching you a couple of things. I know you uh, you swiped some bags at San Diego State. You know, I, I think what, your last season, you what, 25? Am I right? I think I got to 25 each year I was there. Maybe oh, I was right the on. first. Yeah. Going back to San Diego State, I just want to know, do you have any specific conversations that you and your pops had about Steven Strasburg? Yeah, I did. I mean, I was out of school by the time Steven was there. But I do remember my dad kind of giving me the background on it because he didn't, you know, the first year Steven was there, he was a little bit out of shape. I don't know if he was out of shape, but he just, he needed to cut some weight. They thought he was going to quit. Like they were on him. God rest his soul, Coach Odin, who was the strength coach at the time, was on him. Like on him so tough. And they thought he was going to quit, but he never quit. And he came back the following year and it was like a complete transformation. I remember my dad telling me, and this was before he became a starter. This was before his junior season. This second year there, he was like, he was the closer. Uh, he said, this, this kid's going to be good. You should have seen the way they rolled him and rolled him. And he just kept coming back. And you're starting to see it kind of come around. And then by the time he was a junior, that was my first year in San Diego. It was in 09. And I remember we were in Colorado. 
And I think they were, he was on TV. It might have been the first round of the playoffs because they played Virginia that year, I believe, the uh, regionals. I, I remember my dad telling me about him. And it was actually, this was actually the first time I got to see him pitch because I had come in and I was, at that point, I wasn't really taking live BP off of their guys. So, yeah, I, I remember my dad bringing him up, and I remember um, how close of a relationship those two had. I think we've taken up enough of your time, my dude, and we appreciate it. I listen to you on 97.3 The Fan with Chris Ello every day, 3 to yep. 7 p.m. weekdays. Thank you. catch our man, uh, Tony Gwynn Jr. there. You'll see him whenever we get to baseball season uh, as a Padres broadcaster as well. Um, you know, your dad was a big part of the fabric. And the community here and uh, you have become that as well man we cherish you you know it's funny because you even sound like your dad when you laugh it's the exact same laugh that your dad had and it just I, like I, hits me i hard. get that a lot people tell me that quite often and I, I i'm not gonna lie occasionally i'll say something and, and i can hear myself say it. it it'll spook me too a little bit man i just wanted to thank you again we appreciate this so much my pleasure thank you very much uh, well, i hope we can see you guys down at petco here sooner than later i mean <laughs> and speaking speaking of petco before i do sign us all off so valerie actually did have a question the only concessions that she's personally had at petco uh, is pizza port she wanted to Delicious. ask you uh, what are your top three favorite petco park foods Oh my god! When the season starts, I, I gain so much weight because I eat there all the time. <laughs> um, I know the tri-tip nachos are on there, man. I know tri-tip not. They're not on there. They're not. Oh on there. wow! Wow! Only really? The line usually is too long when. Yeah, when I'll give you that. So my top three places. You know, I feel like the feels there at the stadium is better than the feels around. And I don't know if it's because they grill it in the uh, grill, like outside, like not on a uh, an iron top. Like I feel like they do, but I don't know. I'd have to say Phil is at the top. Lucha Libre. The, yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> That's probably two on my list. I'd probably say the Philly cheesesteak joint is uh is probably my third. Giatano's or something like that. Uh that one is that one's probably my third on my list. I, I honestly you really can't go wrong. You got yeah. Hodads there. Yeah, Hodads. Like Hodads. Uh, I'll go over to Randy uh, Jones and get a bratwurst or whatever. Yeah, you know? Randy spot. They got a, they got another Mexican food spot. Yeah, Miguel's. Miguel's. I think they have a, like a carnitas joint down there too. That's there's so many hidden there. spots too. It's awesome. There, you, wherever yeah, you walk, it's wherever it's you go. Wherever you go, man, it's the best venue to. If, even if you don't like baseball, you can have a good time at Petco Park. Is it true that Will Myers is a California burrito from Lolita's aficionado? I don't know if he's an aficionado. I mean, you know, <laughs> I think he didn't like our, our Mexican food at first, but uh, I the, did hear the, that. There, the that's white, what I heard the too. Queso well, thing. He, he's like, he, the, the, the queso he likes the East Coast Mexican food. He likes the East Coast stuff. So I don't know if he can be of an aficionado, but he, I, I do hear that he does do the California. I do the California there all the time. That's, that's oh, my yeah. joint. Right there. I've been eating there since '09. Like that, we used to go across the street when I was playing there to go get burritos over there. My dude, I couldn't resist. I opened a 394. <laughs> I went out and bought the beer this morning, and then I was like, uh, maybe I won't. And I was like, nah, I'm going to have one. Hey, Tony, I haven't had a chance to try yours yet, man. Do they have that at Ale Smith available? They're not, we're not producing it right now. 
uh, they got a lot going on right now. So we're going to yeah. wait until things kind of slow down a little bit or pick up, however you want to look at it, and uh, probably get back after it again. It was good, though. It was good. It was, it was, it was good as 394. I, I, I can't say that, but it was really good. Well, Tony, once again, thank you so much for taking time out of your Saturday morning to join us all yes, on episode 11 of Los Chingones Baseball Club podcast presented by MLB Trash Talkers and Stadium Beer Bros. It's been a blast, Tony. Nothing short of a privilege. And thank uh, you I just want to, say, want to say thank you again. And we can't wait to see you at the ballpark and uh, being back in our natural environment. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I look forward to it myself. Thank you, fellas. Thank, thank you, you so much, Tony. Have a Cheers. great weekend. Thank you, you very too. much. So we have a couple latecomers coming on with the the podcast for episode 11. Let's go ahead and introduce the remainder of the starting lineup. Let's see who we got. Uh, Ralphie, you on? Hey, what's up, guys? I'm really excited. I'm finally going to talk about what we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. But our past interviews have been so good to the point where we just really couldn't. Uh, Shout-outs to Tony and shout-outs to Marty for the last two that were just really, really great. And But now I cannot wait to get into the NOS and uh, just really talk about the Dodgers and the Padres. Thanks so much, Ralphie. I know you have a lot to say, so uh, it's great to have you on. Jimmy, you there? Hey, how's it going, guys? Um, I'm excited to talk about the nitty-gritty and, you know, get down to the reason why a lot of people in this podcast are baseball fans, man. You know, to get down and talk about the Padres and the Dodgers and should be very enjoyable, and I'm ready with those over and unders for you guys. I know you've got those locks coming in. Jimmy Locks. That's right. (laughs) Locks. Great to have you on, Jimmy. Thank you so much. Let's go ahead and dive into our bread and butter. We've been teasing this for quite a couple of weeks now. Took 11 episodes, but here we are finally covering the remaining 40% of the NL West. We got the Dodgers and Padres coming up. All right, guys. So out of respect for the standings, as much as I want to do it the other way, let's do the Padres first before the Dodgers. Padres finished 70-92 last year in fifth place. Is that bad? Whatever. Uh, Miners additions. uh, Dozier comes in on a minor league deal. Gordon Beckham, Jared Eikhoff, Jimmy Yucca bonus, Kyle Bearclaw, and Juan Lagares. Padres had themselves a busy offseason in regards to trades. Doing a lot of deals with the Tampa Bay Rays this year, they brought in Emilio Pagan, Jake Cronenworth, the two-way player, and Tommy Pham, of course, and sent Xavier Edwards, Hunter Renfro, Manny Margot, Logan Driscoll, and Pony Kuros the other way. In trade with the Oakland Athletics, they brought in Jerickson Profar and sent Austin Allen and Buddy Reed the other way. In a trade with the Milwaukee Brewers, they picked up Trent Grisham and Zach Davies while sending Luis Urias and Eric Lauer the other way. They also sent Travis Jankowski to the Cincinnati Reds and Ian Kinsler retired. Also, last thing, Drew Pomeranz agreed to a four-year deal to return to the team after the Padres traded them to the Red Sox a couple years back. Some more subtractions for this Padres team, Adam Warren, Aaron Loop, Robbie Irwin, Carl Edwards Jr., Robert Stock, and Nick Martini. I feel this team knows what they're trying to do with themselves, but getting to that point is a whole different question. I mean, this bullpen looks nasty. Emilio Pagan really rounds out that whole bullpen like we talked about with Tony a little while ago. But I'm really interested to see what the Dodger fans have to say about this, man. I, I think yeah, we have to open like it up the to them first, and then <laughs> we have to rebuttal almost, and then yeah. in the same way, you know what I mean? But uh, Well... You know, when I look at the additions to the Padres, they already had a really good lineup last year uh, before they made these additions. You know, I, I really think this team is poised to do something really great in 2020. As I'm a Dodger fan, but I was excited to watch this team play whole season. To me, the best addition was Tommy Pham. If he can recreate the year he had last year with Tampa Bay and put it into this lineup, 
I mean, that's really, you know, that to me sounds really dangerous. I mean, their projected lineup was supposed to be Tatis Jr. And then the guy they brought in, Tommy Pham, is going to bat second. Then Manny Machado, then Eric Hosmer. I mean, guys, that's a solid one through four right there. And that, that can do some major damage. I think their pitching is great. And I think Andrew just said a couple of the guys that they brought in. So I think there was going to be a lot of guys fighting for, you know, the fifth and the fourth spot. The only thing I really questioned the Padres this year was their choice for their manager. I really felt like they should have brought in somebody, I don't know, with just a little bit more experience, not to say, you know, I don't think Tingler is going to do bad, and I'm not saying he's a bad coach. But when I look at some of the people that were fighting for the job, I really feel like maybe they could have picked somebody else. And I really feel like this is that, that's what this team needs. I remember when they got Machado and, you know, Tatis was coming up. I, I looked at my friends and I was all like, yeah, Andy Green's not going to cut it. I, I'd be surprised if he makes it the whole year. Ultimately, he got fired. So I'm not going to say I was right. But I just think, you know, also with the mix of Latin American players, I just don't really think he was the right guy. And I kind of wish they would have brought in somebody more experienced with that, like a more diverse group of guys. But, um, you know, I, I look at the projected lineup. They have a great pitching rotation. Uh, and, you know, obviously their bullpen is really good. And they got this, uh, the Kirby Yates, right? You guys still have. Yeah, I was going to I was going to say let me uh break that down before we get too yeah. deep so just for reference. Yeah. Starting rotation, Chris Paddock, Denilson Lamette, Garrett Richards, Zach Davies and Joey Lucchese. Kirby Yates comes back as a closer after leading the National League in saves. Drew Pomeranz, the new setup man. Uh of course Emilio Pagan as I mentioned a moment ago is going to be a great 7th or 8th inning guy wherever he comes in. Craig Stammen got a new deal in the offseason so he comes back. Matt Strom, Luis Perdomo, Cal Quantrill, Andres Munoz, the fireballer, but he just had Tommy John. You know, the past couple of years, they put together what they can, and they kind of like, all right, well, hopefully this will be it. This team this year looked like more, we're going to win this division. Like, you know, they brought in guys. My biggest one is Tommy Pham. Like I said, if he can really recreate what he did last year into this lineup, this is going to be amazing. Uh, hopefully Tatis is a little bit healthier this year. I always kind of felt, too, that they kind of put him in too early, even though we, we know we all wanted to see the kid play, right? Everybody wanted to see Tatis play. Guilty. But he got hurt. I think he got hurt a couple of times last year. And if he can stay healthy, I see nothing but success for this team in 2020. I feel like his injuries were kind of style of play related, which there's been a bunch of players or recent vintage that have had similar similar kind of boogaboos. And I think there's ways to work around that. Tatis is like the wild stallion. You want to tame him, but at the same time, you just come on and kind of let him run and do his thing because that's when you're going to get the most out of him. Unfortunately, he is going to maybe hurt himself to a certain degree. And I think, I don't know, it's a tough situation, like I said, because you just don't want to pull back the reins and have him try to like fit in a bubble and be a guy that he really isn't. I think that he brings every dimension of the game that you'd want from a middle infielder, speed, glove, power average like he has all the tools and it's just one of those things where he needs to learn how to harness all those things and he only played 82 games last season so I think you know he's still going to need some time to really grow into a major league baseball player and to um, really identify like certain situations where he maybe doesn't need to stretch the single and the double and try to take the extra base he made some really acrobatic movements last season. You know, he uh, almost got picked off at first or like doubled off at first on a fly ball. And he's like avoiding the tag. And it looks like the matrix, you know, it's just like his body's contorted in angles that it's just not supposed to do. But his aggressiveness also did a lot of things for him. You know, he scores, 
from second base on a routine infield fly ball, you know, with his aggressiveness. Sure, at the time, Andy Green was probably like, oh my God, please don't get thrown out. But at the same time, it worked out. It did pan out so many times for him. And with that success, he'll gain more confidence in what he's able and not able to do. It's just one of those things where as he grows into his body, he's still 21, 22 years old. That's a young person. You know what I mean? Like that's just a a person trying to fit into their body, you know, what they're going to do mentally, what their approach is going to be. There's still so much more growth for him. And we haven't seen the best days yet. He just came on to the scene so hot, crushing it from day one. And it's like, that's the expectation. And I think he'll have a great career. I think he'll be a successful major league baseball player, barring injury. Just find that balance of don't hurt yourself. You know, things will happen in the game. You dive for a ball, you crash into the wall, you slide. But if it's an overexertion thing, like one of his injuries, I'm pretty sure was like a chronic hamstring pull or something like that. And that is just making sure you're stretching properly, making sure you're hydrated, making sure you're doing all those, you know, physical therapy things. And, you know, maybe not overexerting yourself because it is a long season. As a minor leaguer, these guys play like 40, 50 less games. I don't even know what his most games in the season is. And so when he got up to 82 games, that was probably pretty close to the most he's ever done. If the dude plays winter league, if the dude does some other stuff, that might impact things. Yeah, I think he's an exciting player to watch, man. He's a plus 800 favorite for MVP of the NL this year. And when he came on the scene, he was very, since we're doing this, we're doing both teams today, Yasiel Puigish, you know what I'm saying? You know, yeah, I was gonna say that when Zach talked about him, it was like he was describing Puig's first year. Yeah, like, exactly. First year. And and I yeah. just hope that <laughs> I, I just hope that there's somebody in the Padres organization or on the team that can take him under the wing and mold him. Because I do feel like Puig had that with you know Uribe and Ramirez, but when they left, yeah. it just let loose. Jimmy, so from a non-biased standpoint, you have him at plus eight hundred. Are you putting the rent money on him to uh, <laughs> to win MVP? I am not putting the rent if he money can on stay him. if he, if he can if stay he healthy. can stay healthy I unfortunately am not putting the rent money on him yeah I um, agree with just because you know what you got to remember you still have famine Machado there and I feel like you know they're the veterans he might have a hell of a season but I think there's another junior that'll have a better season <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I, I can't put the rent money on him when Zach was saying that. I just wanted to yell out Quig so bad. I can compare him to Quig, intensity, passion. They they went all out. You know, they the only difference between Quig and Tatis, and this is where I think they completely differ, is that Quig's built like a brick. This guy was running into stuff, overrunning stuff, throwing hard, and he just never got hurt. And uh, I think that's where the only difference with Tatis was, is that he's going to have to learn his body a little bit more. He's going to have to not tone it down. I think sometimes when we say uh, he should tone it down. I don't think none of us mean like his passion or his intensity, but he is really going to have, you know, look it to himself and say, hey, okay, I might have to work on this. I might have to work on, you know, a certain aspect of his game. He can go back and look at video and see kind of how he hurt himself and hopefully he'll never do those things again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I see him, he is so talented and so many, he can win you a game feeling, hitting a home run, clutch hitting because he's an average guy as well. I was super excited to see him play in the full season. The only reason I think he was kind of forced in, and, and I think Ozzy Jr. touched on this, is that remember like Hosmer and Machado had like dinner with Andy and they kind of pushed for him to be on the team. And ultimately he was on the team. And I remember Ozzy said he didn't really like that because he doesn't want like players to dictate what the coach does. And I honestly think that's kind of why it happened because 
he felt kind of entitled because the team was, you know, they had his back and they were like, go out there, man, just do whatever you want to do. And then Womp Womp got hurt. And, you know, when you take him out of the lineup and you take him out of the team, this team's still great. I'm not saying, you know, they're like nothing without him, obviously, but with all the additions they've made, he has to stay out there. And if he's healthy, they're capable of doing so many things. I really think this is the best rival for the Dodgers in the division based on their pitching staff, their bullpen, their, their hitting, everything about the team. I really feel like they're finally at where they want to be. As far as a baseball team, you got a really good mix of veteran presence, a very good mix of young guys. Uh, you know, the farm's always there for them too, so they could always make trades in midseason. Who knows what, what would have that looked like if it was a normal season? Like imagine they needed like an extra arm. I mean, they always have the players in the minor leagues to trade for them too. You know, when they got to the all-star break and they needed to evaluate what they needed, they could have even made it stronger. They could have added to this team. Who knows where? But uh, I think their minor league system really keeps them open to stuff like that too. So they can even get better for all we know. Yeah, with the Padres, I feel like this is a season a lot about the role players that are going to have to come in and step up and really establish themselves as credible bench guys, I guess I can say, and then even platoon guys in some case. Because the Padres have had a rotating door on the bench for what seems like a long time. You know, they have a couple guys that stayed around for a couple years, like Kristen Orfia, you know, guys like that. But they were never incredibly productive. They were borderline fan favorites because they were here for long enough. The fans remember their names, but that was really it. It wasn't based off of production. So now you have a chance, like Josh Naylor, he's going to have a chance to be an everyday DH, if that's the way this goes with Universal DH this season. Jerks and Profar is still not that far removed from being a top prospect with the Texas Rangers. Jerkson Profar just had some very unlucky injury history over the last couple of years. The guy has had the talent in the past, hasn't really got to that full potential yet. But the guy, if he can carve out a real role with this team, that can be a huge benefit because he can play second base, shortstop, third base. He'd probably even play some left field for you if he needed him to. And the Padres need a player like that. Also, Brian Dozier. Brian Dozier is, again, not that far removed from having a great year. We all remember Brian Dozier when he was with Minnesota. I don't have the number right in front of me, but I assume he's averaging about 35 a year for a couple years. He was tearing the cover off the ball. Whatever the Padres can possibly get out of Will Myers would be a plus because they're paying him all that money. And I think we've all got to the point, fans and organization included, given the fact that the Padres were trying to shop him as hard as they possibly could this offseason with no buyers where we just take what we can get out of the guy and we're not going to give him much expectation because we're tired of getting hurt by this guy and we're tired of him getting hurt. I still <laughs> to this day think that moving him to the outfield, moving him back to the outfield was the worst decision that they could have. Obviously they brought in Eric Hosmer when that big deal, Eric Hosmer wasn't moving to the outfield, but Will Myers the year before he just got moved to first base and he was a borderline gold glove candidate at first base that guy could pick the ball out of the dirt as well as any of them so you know with a guy like him with wrist problems that have been plaguing his career to that point as soon as he went back in the outfield I you know feared the worst and since then it still hasn't gone well honestly thought um he was gonna be your guys DH that that's what I thought because I just don't know where else to put him right I mean if anybody benefited from the DH the most on the Padres was Will Myers but if I'm not mistaken he gets hurt at the plate a lot, right? He hurt, he hurts himself, right? Like bad swings. I think I know he has wrist issues too. Well, like now, the- yeah, but it, when it was in his days with like the Royals and the Rays, that was when he would hurt his wrist on uh, diving plays in the outfield. Mm, 
Okay, yeah. Honestly, when I remember when the, when the DH thing came out, I was like, oh, that's got to be Will Myers. But who would you guys as Padre fans want as your DH? It has to be think- Josh Naylor. Josh Naylor. Okay. Josh I, Naylor. I, I, Josh Naylor. Been watching this guy come up for years. This dude is an absolute tank. Like Rowdy Tellez, Prince Fielder size. Like this dude's a monster. They've been trying to put him in right field. One, because they really want somebody to push Will Myers to be better or take his job. And two, because they can't put him at first base because Hosmer's there. They can't put him at third base because Machado's there. And they can put him at DH. So now that the DH comes along, I feel like this is the perfect opportunity that we never in a million years would have got before. And that, and that really changes the, the lineup, doesn't it? Because then it'd be Tatis, Fam, Machado, Hosmer, Naylor. I mean, what's that sound like to you and guys? And then you still got Grisham and Profar or Dozier, Mejia. And Chris, and Chris Paddock doesn't have the bat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so in this universe of the alternate DH, let's say Will Myers is fully healthy. Let's say he beats out Josh Naylor for this DH job. In this rare, bizarre season where there is a universal DH, what kind of line can he realistically put up? Based on his September numbers, they were promising. So this is the thing. Will Myers didn't really start getting full playing time until the end of the season. And his numbers in September look a hell of a lot better than they do the first five months of the season. And I don't know if that's indicative of a player just pissed off because he didn't get playing time to start the season. But I can run through the stat line for you real quick. In the month of September, 77 at-bats, which is pretty normal playing time, I would say. I mean, it's not full playing time, but it's pretty darn close. He hit 312, respectable. couple home runs, three home runs, 12 ribbies. He had a 365 on base and slugged 532. That is is an extremely productive Major League Baseball player. Now, some of these games include at Coors, at Milwaukee, at Arizona, which are all hitters' ballparks for the most part. So maybe he was uh, finding his groove at the right time, playing in the right stadiums. I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with Will Myers. Like, we invested in him. So at this point, it's like we just got to – ride that investment out and hopefully it pans out. I have heard a lot of reports this offseason that if Eric Cosmer doesn't start to hit better against lefties, those bats are going to go Will Myers' ways. Yeah. I don't know if it's straight platoon, but I think he could get 100 at-bats or 150 at-bats at first base. And then if you couple that with 250, 300 at-bats in the outfield, which is only half playing time on a full season, obviously, then you're talking about 450, 500 at-bats in a year. And that's enough to really be a body of work to know what's going on. He struggled so bad to start the season that Andy Green was basically like, dude, you're not, I'm not putting you in the starting lineup anymore. Like that's just how it's going to go. And that led to his demise. Ultimately, that wasn't the only thing, but I think the thing that we should talk about with the Padres, I think their ascension, it's going to come with Chris Paddock becoming an ace. It's Chris Paddock going from where he is now to being Walker Bueller for the Dodgers. Yeah, I think, absolutely. I think, I think he's right there. Like, I think he'll do it. And, I, I, you know, I'm crossing my fingers because we haven't had a guy with that kind of stuff since Jake Peavy, really. Right. We're yeah. going on 15, 16 years without having, like, a guy. You know, he, we, we traded for him from the Marlins, and that was a steal. We gave him Fernando Rodney and got a potential eight. Like, <sighs> I don't know how we did pull that one off, but – we love those Florida trades. This was a take that I found pretty pretty interesting. 
earlier with our interview with Tony. He sees Garrett Richards as our number one. So he sees Garrett Richards coming back, you know, from Tommy John and taking over that number one spot while Chris Paddock still takes the time to find himself and continue to develop while still being in the number two slot. I've always loved Garrett Richards. Like, seriously, I love Garrett Richards. That dude has such nasty stuff. But if you think James Paxton is injury prone and has nasty stuff, let me introduce you to Garrett Richards. Just straight raw potential that this guy hasn't been able to fully discover for himself because he hasn't been able to pitch enough games because he hasn't been healthy. The guy has had elbow issues, shoulder issues, you name it. I mean, I feel for the guy. When the Padres took a flyer on him and gave him a two-year deal, I thought that was just an absolute genius move by A.J. Preller because he was already coming off of Tommy John. He pitched late last year in September a couple games just to get his feet wet before the season ended. So I'm totally with Tony on that one, man. Like if Garrett Richards can go out and pitch to the top of his ability, I don't see any reason why he isn't going to be the number one. I think that's an interesting take because um, the thing I like the most about Chris Paddock, not only like his, his ceiling's high, crazy fastball. I love his passion. I, I love how dedicated he is, you know, to the team. He clearly loves being a Padre. I mean, he, he loves that. I wouldn't want to take that away from him. And I think making him the second starter uh, does take that away from him. I would want to tell him you're the guy, start him first. Cause I think he plays better with intensity, with passion. You know, like I think he's a better pitcher when he's like, Hell yeah, I'm the guy. And obviously you give him that confidence. You instill that into him if you make him your number one opening day starter. I think he's brought a really cool attitude to the Padres as well. I love the whole Sheriff thing. I think it's really cool. And I I will say this to you guys as a Dodger fan. uh, I went to Dodger Stadium to go watch Chris Paddock play. And this is what I mean when I say this guy loves being a Padre. I went there specifically to watch him play. And I got tickets right next to the Padres bullpen because, you know, he was the star, right? I even wanted to see it. Number one, I couldn't believe how big he was because I was right in front of him, right? So kind of a cool story. Uh, There was all these Padre fans there with their, you know, their baseballs waiting to get an autograph, whatever they could. And uh, we were kind of in a line. If anybody knows Dodger Stadium, you know, the left field right next to the bullpen, it's a very low wall. So you're right in front of the guy. So there was like four Padre fans next to me and then there's me. Signs all their stuff gets to me and walks away because I was in full Dodgers gear. (laughs) You know what I mean? And like, I really think he did that. I, re- yep, I really think he did that for his fans, for him to be like, nah, screw this guy. I ain't signing nothing. And to me, I wasn't even mad at him. I was actually kind of like, I was like, you know what? That's dope. That one doesn't even want to like acknowledge me and like sign my stuff uh, because I came in full Dodgers gear. So, you know, and obviously the Padres and the Dodgers rivalry is so big. But my point is when I saw that in him, it, it made me like him more. You know what I mean? He's like kind of no fucks kind of guy, you know, and he just... When I saw that, I was like, yeah, man, this dude's down. Like, he, he loves being a Padre. I also wanted to say to the other additions, like when you guys say Profar and Fam, Fam already had a good year. But I really feel like this year, being on a team like that, you know, being with Machado, being with Hosmer on a good lineup, they're going to benefit from playing at Petco because we all know how great it is. And could you imagine, like, all these guys coming in and playing in that beautiful ballpark and like, no, nah, man, I don't want to leave. I want to I play here forever, you know? And I think even that kind of instills more confidence in the player. Uh, so I, I would want them. Obviously, I'm going to go with Tony Gwynn said, you know, if he thinks Garrett Richards and you guys even said Garrett Richards, I wouldn't take away that from Chris Paddock. So he knows he's the guy. And I honestly think he'll play better that way. I worked Padres Fan Fest and I saw you guys there, but I was at Park in the Park just for first date or whatever. And I saw all the Padres players come up, the Sheriff, Machado, Fam, uh, I believe even Tatis was there. I, I was thinking to myself, like, 
dang, like these guys have a good lineup going. And uh, I think they're going to be second, going to give the Dodgers a run for their money. But I mean, I'm being biased. <laughs> um, but also just, I mean, if Myers is your guys' worst player, your guys' worst batter in the Padres' eyes, I mean, just what does that say about your guys' lineup? It's pretty dang good. So that being said, Myers still has potential to be good. I'm excited to see them play. I see them play more than the Dodgers just because when I worked at Pekka, like I saw the, the Padre games and, like I said, they have a really good potential of giving the Dodgers a, a run for their money. Well, yeah, I mean, in a perfect scenario, Will Myers will perform and will win a DH job or deserve to win that right field job instead of just having it because he's getting paid so much money. But when it comes to Chris Paddock, I personally just don't think that it's going to be as big of a deal to put him in that two hole because I think eventually Mackenzie Gore is coming and he's going to be that top dog. So. I think Chris Paddock's going to have to get used to it. I don't want to be misunderstood either. Like, I think if Garrett Richards is healthy, he's your ace because he does have a lot of major league experience outside of being injured. I just think Chris Paddock has ace stuff and has ace intensity. Ralphie kind of touched on it a little bit. Like, if there was one guy I want to give the ball to, I feel like it's him. His best game last season was against his former organization, Miami Marlins. He took them to the eighth inning It was building up to be a potential Padres no-hitter, which we've seen a million times before with every other pitcher, Jake Peavy, Andrew Kashner. They all got really close at points in time. But his best game was against an opponent that he used to be like part of that organization. And I think he was laser-focused, and he had a goal in mind. I am going to annihilate this team. And he almost did it. Like He almost made it all the way. He almost got all the way through nine innings unscathed. The dude is, like I said, I feel like when he's locked in, he's nearly untouchable. His two pitches, fastball, changeup are nasty. He needs to really get that breaking pitch down. But I just think this dude is the ace we really need right now. And Mackenzie Gore is going to take some time to blossom into whatever he's going to be. He's still a really young man too. So if Garrett Richards doesn't work out, right, and they can't re-sign him or, you know, he can't pitch, whatever, and they choose to move on, Chris Paddock's the next guy. 100%. Chris Paddock embodies that new tattoo. He's a fucking lion. And he's got the mane to match. Nothing sexier than watching uh, Mr. Andrew in his sheriff hat, man. Let me tell you that. Oh, bro. Tony Gwynn. We talked about that shit. That shit was so funny. Oh, my God. Obviously, we have opinions regarding the Padres. It could be secret swing for them. But uh, I know that we have a lot to say regarding the Dodgers. Let's go and open this up because <laughs> I know right. you guys have a lot to say. Yep. First place finish. Saving the best Los for last. Angeles Dodgers. Yep. Saving the best for last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see my eye roll, but I can't deny that you're right. Finished 106 and 56 last season. Some additions are Alex Wood, Blake Trinan, I think is a huge get from Oakland A's. And Jimmy Nelson comes over as well from the Milwaukee Brewers. Minor league deals with Kyle Lobstein, Rocky Gale, and Terrence Gore. Of course, the trade with the Red Sox that brought them Mookie Betts and David Price and sent Verdugo, Jeter Downs, and Connor Wong the other way to Boston. A trade with Minnesota that brought over Bruzdar Graterol and Luke Rayleigh and sent Kenta Maeda and Jair Camargo the other way. Uh, some subtractions for him. Yimmy Garcia, Russell Martin, Rich Hill, Hyunjin Ryu, of course, after an amazing season, gets big money north of the border with the Blue Jays. Tyler Thornburg and Jed Jerko. Going into how their roster looks now, Will Smith behind the plate. 
Max Muncie at first, Gavin Lux and Corey Seager in the middle, Justin Turner at third, Chris Taylor, a main guy off the bench in the infield. Left field, Jock Peterson, Cody Bellinger in center, Mookie Betts in right. We'll see how much they move those guys around. I think all those guys can play any outfield position you put them at. A.J. Pollock back on the bench in the outfield. Hmm. Starting rotation of Clayton Kershaw, Walker Buehler, David Price, Julio Urias, and Alex Wood. Kenley Jansen still closing games for him with Blake Trinan as a setup man to really push him because Kenley Jansen, I feel like the Dodger fans might be running thin on patience, so it might be time for Blake Trinan to get some opportunities. Pedro Baez, Joe Kelly, Caleb Ferguson, Scott Alexander, Ross Stripling, Dennis Santana, among others. I know most of us here are going to, you know, realistically believe that the Dodgers are going to repeat as champions of the NLS again this year. We've talked about Mookie many times on the podcast already. Mookie's a great Absolutely. player. We know that. We know that if baseball doesn't start, the Dodgers are getting screwed. We know that. We've gone over that. Let's talk about other things. Yep. Let's go and I jump have, into it. I have the summation, if I could. I made a prompt for myself, and I'm going to indulge everyone. <clears throat> if a season does happen, the Los Angeles Dodgers will once again be an unbold prediction to be the National League representative for the World Series. They added Mookie Betts, David Price, and Bruce Dark Gratterall in what turned out to be a controversial trade. And their top two prospects got their first taste of big league action and fared very well. Walker Bueller is a budding ace. Pairing him with grizzled Clayton Kershaw and David Price could make them the best top three in the National League. The bullpen has a lot of role players who have had elite stretches. Blake Trinan, Joe Kelly, and Kenley Jansen can be a lights-out seventh to ninth inning combo. Will Smith, the catcher, enjoyed a breakout rookie season. Max Muncie followed a strong 2018 with an even better 2019. Cody Bellinger is your reigning NL MVP. Gavin Lux is a potential Rookie of the Year candidate. They orchestrated the deal for Mookie. Jock Peterson, AJ Pollock, and Corey Seager can be dominant players. Chris Taylor and Kike Hernandez are the glue that really complete this roster. The team has very few weaknesses top to bottom. They had been susceptible at times against left-handed pitching in years past, but now with Betts and Pollock in the fold, they have solved those issues. The bullpen struggled at times last year, but they put it together the last two months of the season. This team is primed for another run to the World Series. They got there two years in a row in 17 and 18. We're not going down that rabbit hole. Last year, they got run through by the Nationals, who ended up winning the World Series. I like Dave Roberts. I think he's a great manager. A lot of people will question various pitching changes he's made in crucial situations, but he's going with his gut and the numbers. This guy isn't allergic to the big moment. He wasn't as a player, and I think as a manager, he has been great for this organization. The Dodgers check pretty much every box. I hate them so much that I respect them <laughs> the most. And now I leave it open. Man, you I know, think you I, said it all, bro. I mean, yeah, that should be the end of the podcast the, right there. That was great. Yeah, bro. the Dodgers check every box but the big one. So, I, I mean, it hurts, I, but we need know, it. I absolutely, I absolutely love when you brought up Kike Hernandez and Chris Taylor, Zach. You call them the glue. And to me, this is the Dodgers' strongest. The best thing about them is their bench. And a lot of their players can play multiple positions. To me, the greatest thing is solidifying the bullpen because that's where we just, they just went to shit sometimes. You know, we did, they didn't know who to put in. Uh, I really feel 
Dave Roberts doesn't really know how to manage a bullpen, and we've really felt that in the last couple of years with all the controversy and everything. I still question a lot of moves that he made, like at the end of the game's late innings, throwing in Kershaw, then Soto and Rondon just took off on him. That was his decision. He made those decisions, and I really think they've affected the Dodgers. Bringing in who they brought in to, to fix the bullpen, Gretrio is nasty. I am sure you guys have seen that guy pitch. He was my favorite addition to the team. I know Betts and Price, you know, obviously we were super excited about him. Uh, we don't have to talk about Mookie Betts that much because it's like if he is who he is, he's just going to shine. He has to play in himself and just do what he does, go to work. But, you know, obviously putting him in the lineup, guys, and, and the Dodgers get a DH. I mean, the lineup potentially was going to be Mookie Betts, Gavin Lux, Max Muncie, Justin Turner, Cody Bellinger, Jock Peterson, Corey Seager, and then we get a full year of Will Smith. I think we're better. The Dodgers are better this year, and they won 106 games last year. My favorite part of this year was seeing a full year of Will Smith because I got just so tired of Austin Barnes going out there and flying out and getting mad at the camera every time he did it. I love the guy's passion, but uh, I really feel like now, because you're not supposed to get offense out of your catcher. Now the Dodgers have that with a full year of him. And, you know, in that lineup, we get a DH, and I think that's uh, where Pollock will be. I think Pollock will play the DH because he really hurts himself a lot in the outfield. He, he's injury prone and but I've never seen anything really wrong with his bat. And, if you know, they let him know, hey, man, you know, we're putting you in the DH spot. Just go out there and rake. I think he'll completely shine, especially because he's surrounded by so many good players. But, guys, do you guys see any holes in that lineup anywhere? Uh, last year, you could have seen, yeah, Barnes, uh, maybe, you know, the second baseman. But in that, what I just said, I see absolutely no holes in the lineup. And then, you know, when guys get days off, who's going to play? Chris Taylor. He's amazing. Kike Hernandez. He's amazing, you know. so. This team benefits from having so many good players. And I couldn't even think they could get any better. And with the additions they've made, and, you know, they still have a lot in the farm system. It's not like they gave up everything for Mookie and Price, thank God. They only really gave up, like, two prospects and one we traded for. So it's not like he was in the organization forever, I think, in Jeter Downs. There's so much more they can do. They're so complete. I just don't know how they don't win the division. I don't know. If they all play, obviously. This, we're, we're obviously, we're always talking like it's 162, completely normal. I don't see how this team cannot win the NL West again. I, I think that's where we really needed to solidify our team is in the bullpen, and I honestly think that's exactly what we did in 2020. If you're asking to look for some holes, I mean, the only things I can really even come up with, I mean, Jock Peterson probably strikes out too much. Corey Seager, I don't think the Dodger fans have exactly got out of him what they expected and what they felt he was going to do after seeing him for a year after he came back from that injury. But, you know, now that he's further removed from that, I'm who's to say that he can't get back to that level? I'm not going to say that. You don't know what you're going to get out of David Price. Julio Urias also isn't too far removed from an injury. But again, a top prospect, not removed from that too long either. Alex Wood is your number five. You know, he was good for you guys when you had him before. You don't really know what you're going to get out of him. Even then, if Alex Wood doesn't pan out, you guys got arms that can fill in in the number five. Dude, Dustin May, Goslin, there's so much there. I mean, if one guy goes down, they have somebody to just throw in right into the, like, I'm talking about the rotation right now. I mean, their, their pitching is ridiculous, man. And, you know, I was excited and I don't even know how they're going to do this if the season does start as far as, like, you know, solidifying the five starters. I mean, how isn't May my number five? I throw in May over Urias because, like you said, he's not too far away from, removed from an injury. And May is this lights-out, nasty power pitcher. I wanted him to be our, our fifth starter. 
it, it doesn't really matter because I think he'll get the opportunity anyway to pitch this season. But just imagine those guys out of the bullpen. Come on, that, that would be ridiculous. I like more what they did with the arms and what's happening with the bats because the bats aren't really the problem. I mean, Max Muncy has just been a godsend and he has just proven that he can be on the big stage, deliver when he needs to. He's a great player. The Dodgers are so complete, guys. You know, they, this team from top to bottom, uh, I, like, I, I never wanted to call the World Series just because, well, uh, that, that went totally the other direction with, when that did happen. But uh, just the potential and everything, I honestly think this is the best team in baseball. My assumption is by the end of tonight, Jimmy's going to fill us in and tell us this team is probably the favorite to win the World Series. But I think probably. the best move that they made this offseason, which I don't even know why it didn't happen, was not trading Jock Peterson and Ross Stripling. It looked like they were getting robbed from that trade. I didn't understand yeah, why you would gosh. part with those players. Like Those guys are the reason. When your bench would be starting for every other team in the National League, like that just says it all. All these guys. And the guy, one guy we haven't talked about is Matt Beattie, who also is a pretty productive Major League Baseball player too. Kiki Hernandez is like one of my favorite dudes because he can play literally anywhere. Chris Taylor is the same thing. They just have all these guys that can just plug in, fill in wherever they want, and that really gives them so much flexibility. Max Muncy, he could play first, second, third. He's not an outfielder, not a shortstop. It just gives you so much flexibility. If you want to give Justin Turner a day off and you want a lefty in the lineup, Max Muncy, play third base. And they just do that with all their players. Cody Bellinger, their MVP, can play all three outfield spots, can play first base. They just have flexibility with every single guy on their roster. I, I love Jock Peterson because he just hammers I, fastballs. And he's very I, like the, I like the fact that everybody's okay with the role. Everybody's okay with being, you know, playing this position, playing that position. You know, everybody's okay with that. Real quick, I want to send a shout out to David Price taking $1,000 for every minor leaguer in the Dodgers organization for the month of June. And I truly applaud that. I mean, he hasn't even played in for the Dodgers yet, and he's already doing that. And that says a lot about him. That is awesome. Um, yeah, definitely. And, you know, Mookie is um, a plus 500 to win NL MVP this year. And um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Bellinger is a plus 600 to win MVP. So, I mean, man, we have two guys that are going to be shooting for MVP this year. It's going to be great. Also, you know what? When it comes to Dodgers, in my opinion, man, we've always we've had pretty good teams. What scares me the most is Dave Roberts. I like Dave Roberts. I don't love Dave Roberts, okay? Especially when it comes to our bullpen. And this season, a reliever has to come in for at least three batters. It scares me. By so, the way, happy birthday, Dave Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one of the things that worries me the most. Dave Roberts throws the life preserver when you're already underwater, opposed to when you're, you know, asking for help. I said it before, man. I, I honestly think in late innings, he makes very questionable decisions. I'm, I'm going to say he makes terrible decisions in, in the late innings when the game's on the line. To me, the, the worst one to date was throwing in Kershaw. Come on, dude, in like the eighth. That, that just didn't make any sense to me when – you, you had Joe Kelly coming off. I thought that was a spot for him, and, and he did shine until obviously the end where Kendrick hit the grand slam off him. But uh, if you guys remember the inning before, he was lights out. It was one, two, three, got the guys out. I don't know how to fix that. I just hope he sees that for himself. But going back to what I said, I think they brought in bullpen guys that it doesn't matter who you pick at that point, right? You just got to match out the, the lefty-righty kind of situation. But I think our GM, he, he did a great job in bringing those guys in. So now it's like it's not really a question mark of who to throw in, you know what I mean? So I'm not saying it's a kind of like an autopilot situation, but 
makes his job a little bit easier as far as the late innings. This ship doesn't have very many holes that are leaking, you know what I mean? And I'm very curious about this because Dave Roberts was an assistant coach in San Diego for a number of years. And then when there was a manager vacancy before Andy Green's tenure started, they didn't offer him, they didn't even give him an interview for the job. And everyone was kind of, yeah, there was this kind of uproar about it. And since then, obviously the Dodgers haven't reached the ultimate success, but it's a long string of contention. I got to tell you guys, winning 95 games every year ain't so bad compared to what we've been doing for our whole lives for the most part. So, but I there's just, but there's also a lot of like, well, what could have been? Yeah, Dave Roberts was a fan favorite. He played for the Padres, and I I still to this day can't even fathom a reason why he didn't even get an interview. I think he went to school over here too. Rancho Buena Vista. Okay, there you go. He's very I local just, to us. I you know in my little summation, I said he's not allergic to the big moment. This dude, their team was down three games to nothing, and they everyone in the stadium knew that this guy was going to steal second base against the Yankees, and he still pulled that off. I just don't feel like the big moment worries him a whole lot, and he leans on his guys. Like, Clayton Kershaw is like, your guys' franchise guy. If there's a big moment, you want that guy pitching. That's just how things go. If you ask Joe Torre, he wants Derek Jeter <laughs> swinging the bat if it's the games on the line. That's the same thing. Right here, Joe Torre wanted once. Clayton Kershaw when the game was on the line too. You guys remember? Yeah, I wanted, yeah. I wanted Kershaw. <laughs> I wanted Kershaw to come in maybe three years ago, two years ago, and I would trust him. Of course, that's who you I guys, wanted to be in there. But and, I mean, guys, he gets older. Things start to diminish, and he's had injuries. And I think one of the biggest mistakes. I think everyone's probably in agreement that in 2017, the Dodgers capture the World Series if he just starts Clayton Kershaw game seven. That's just it. No. Alex no. Wood. Alex Wood. Alex Wood. Alex Wood had to start game seven. 100%. I, he would have won. Alex, yeah, he, we would have won. Uh, so just correct me if I'm wrong. It wasn't that the game where they started. he started you Darvish, though. You Darvish, yeah. yeah. And he so, got, he got yeah. but and he Kershaw came he in in the middle leads. innings and was like out. I don't know yeah. if you remember Alex Wood's game. Like His whole playoff was amazing, but he was lights out against the Astros, and the Astros knew what was coming. He pitched in Houston and just blanked them. And, you know, obviously we didn't know about the controversy till later on, but when it was game seven, I was like, oh, yeah, they're, they're going to start. They started Darvish because of the money because they paid him that much. And, you know, obviously, once again, that was a Dave Roberts decision. I would have thrown in Alex Wood. You know, he has a very deceptive pitch. He hides the ball. You don't see where it's coming until he lets it go. He didn't have success in Cincinnati because he got hurt. He actually never even pitched for the Reds, I believe. I'm happy he's back because I think he really wanted – he like, everybody wants a player that wants to play for your organization, right? I mean, that I think everybody can agree with that. And he, he could have gone anywhere. He was a free agent, and he chose. He came back here because he likes playing here. And, obviously, the team's very good. Obviously, you want to play for a team that's good, too. Uh, but, no, yeah, Zach, uh, it, it was totally Alex Wood. But, once again, it, these are all decisions Dave Roberts made. Well, I want to touch on this last thing, too, about Kenley Jansen. Look. I can only speak for myself, but I go to the, a lot of games, and um, the consensus is we're kind of done with the guy. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm just sick of putting him in there and him just blowing it, and I just don't know if his cut fastball isn't cutting anymore. But uh, they brought in enough guys for him to not lose his job, but you know now you're going to have to keep it. Now you're going to have to keep this job. You're going to have to go up. You're going to have to step up. You're going to have to be Kenley Jansen, man, because if not, like I said, Gretriol looks amazing. Everybody they brought in looks so good. And, you know, they got just heat, man. It's like, buy it, say what you want to say about him. The guy throws hard. 
I don't know, man. I, I really feel like this is uh, Kenley's kind of make or break season because I can only speak for myself. Every time California Love starts in the, <laughs> the ninth inning, I don't feel as excited as I did before because I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm kind of done with Kenley. You know, I hope he proves me wrong because that can only obviously benefit the Dodgers. But once again, these are all Dave Roberts' choices. So, yeah, I, I kind of criticize him in that aspect. Well, you know, I feel like whatever shortcomings Dave Roberts has with his bullpen managerial decisions, I think this offense is going to score enough runs where it's not really going to matter in the ninth inning. A lot of times, if we're saying we're doing a 162-game season just for the sake of the podcast, anything less than another 106-win season that they had last year would be a disappointment. It's a pretty hard bar, but okay. And they got better. You know, like I said, I think exactly got- they got better. They got, they got better. Gavin Lux all year. Will Smith all year. You know, like those are two like players. If, right if David Price can give you David Price talent performance instead right. of what he, he's given the last few years, I mean, man, you look at this team, the fact that they lost Ryu, they lost Hill, and Dustin Mace still isn't even in the rotation. Right. Like, Come on now. Like, this team's ridiculous. Yeah. I want to say, I don't think using the word lost and choosing to not bring back is very different because they they let those guys go. (laughs) They chose not to bring them back. And it's because they are so talented. If a guy gets hurt, you have literally in every other rotation in the major leagues a number three starter in Ross Stripling, but he's like their top, you know, long reliever. They're just oozing with talent. They're oozing with guys that can get the job done. And that's what it just keeps coming back to. Just the They're pretty complete, man. They're the, yeah. To me, I look at that roster, and it's so complete. And a lot of those guys don't get hurt either, you know, minus A.J. Pollock. And when, when they got the D.H., I was like, well, Pollock's going to be our D.H. <laughs> and like you said, the guy can hit. And now he's in a position where all he has to do is hit, and you throw him into that lineup. Man, I'm excited to watch the Dodgers play. All right, Jimmy Locks, hit us. Start off with the Padres, man. They are a plus 1,000, if I wrote that correctly, to win the division. They won 70 games last year. They're projected to do 82 and a half this year. I'm definitely taking the over on that one. Yeah. Over. Yeah. Over. Over. Yeah. Over. I, I appreciate the love, guys. Like, I'm <laughs> taking the over. Definitely. You guys, I mean, well, please. What are, the, what are the odds on the over? Minus 110? Uh, minus 130 when, when minus I checked the last, yeah. Okay. And the under and the under is amazingly even. So Wow. Yeah. So I think Vegas knows something. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we all know the Giants, how we feel about their progression. So Yeah. <laughs> definitely. All right, guys. And with the Dodgers, um, I'm sorry. Let me go back and correct myself. The Padres are plus five thousand to win the division. The Dodgers are a minus seven fifty to win oh. the division. <laughs> You don't make no money off of that. Yeah, I mean, I guess give me some money on the Padres at plus 5,000. So for those that are listening and it's your first time getting into any type of gambling, so if they're minus 750, that means you got to bet $7.50 to profit $1 off of that. Just to give you an idea. Yeah, so the 750, I mean, $750 will get you 100 bucks. That's so, awful. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. It's no. not a bet to take, guys. Not a bet to take. I mean, to buy, be honest, buy... though, like, if you think about it, the I mean, Dodgers sure win the division, we... that could be a free hundred bucks. Hey. You know what, though? Yeah. I will throw 200 bucks in the Padres. Yeah, why not? Hey, yeah, the, four Michelada's at Dodger Stadium, so that ain't too bad. <laughs> the Dodgers, yeah, if you throw throw the money on the Dodgers, it could be the easiest hundred dollars you ever made. So that's, that's <laughs> like, it just goes both ways. Definitely. And then um, 
Dodgers won 106 games last year. They're projected to do 101 and a half. Over. Slam. Under. Oh, under. Really? No, you guys are crazy. No. <laughs> yeah. biased right now, bro. Team got that's better. A, you, you think no, that that's, a 90, that's a 95 <laughs> win team. Okay. <laughs> Hot take of the day. Listen, oh listen, my listen, God. listen. The I'm Diamondbacks. Right I've got to be that guy. Better. i got to be that guy. I'm sorry. The Diamondbacks are better. The Padres are better. That, that's got to easily be six, seven, eight wins. Like, yeah. But who knows who else they're going to play? How much better are we, though? I mean, how much better are the Dodgers? Yeah, yeah but they're also going to play the Astros in this Western division. So might yep. They're oh, also going to play the Mariners. And now we'll see if they can hit. 101 yeah. is a lot to guarantee. That's all I'm saying. Like, game, teams don't win 100 games every single year. It just yeah. doesn't happen that frequently. You're absolutely right. I mean, realistically, it, that, that's such a hard thing to obtain, especially in baseball, doing it back-to-back, right? I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. All I'm basing it on is that this team is so much better. There were a lot of – not a lot, but there was more holes last year than there are this year. And I can expect when a team gets better, they'll do worse. I just can't. I can't expect that, you know. So, I think they'll do better. I think they'll win 100 games again. I don't know about 101, 102. I was going to say, oh, no, no, yeah. no. The question is 101 and a half. So, let's, <laughs> yeah. so, let, so, so, so let's think about this. The Padres and the D-backs both got better. The Dodgers thrived off of beating up on these two teams. Do you think this is the year that they might get exposed? I don't think Dodgers, like, really beat up on the Diamondbacks that bad. Yeah. Okay, but what about the Padres, though? Yeah, but still, I mean, if the Padres win five more games, then they're still going to hit that over. When the Padres beat the Dodgers, it was a big deal. Oh, it's always a big deal. Never forget. (laughs) Well, if you guys do decide to go for the under, it's a minus 105, which is not a bad bet. I mean, minus 105 is still – the over is minus 125. What's the under, though? 105. Minus 105. Dodgers are also favored to win the World Series. They're not the only ones, though. They are tied with the New York Yankees at plus 325 for the World Series. You know, a lot of people think I hate the Astros because they cheated. I'm going to nip this in the bud. I do, but I hate them more because they took away a Dodgers-Yankees World Series from us, man. That was going to happen. If the Astros lose to the Yankees, it would have been a Dodgers-Yankees World Series. I've always called that the pinnacle of baseball. That's it. New York versus L.A., the Bronx Bombers versus the Bums. You know, we moved to L.A., now we're the Dodgers. Now we're one of the richest teams in the league, you know, and I think that story would have been awesome. And honestly, that would have been the two best teams playing each other in 2017. So I, I resent the Astros more for that than for cheating in a World Series. So, Yeah, I hope to see that this year. I mean, all like personal biases aside, like, you know, competition-wise, Yankees-Dodgers, I can't deny that that would be fun to watch. Yeah, but this division to me is a two-horse race. It's Padres-Dodgers all day. I really think so. What the Padres did and who they already had. And I think these two, both teams added the right pieces. And I think they both got better. And to me, two horse race. It's Dodgers, Padres, and the NLS. Well, all right, you guys. We broke down our two favorite teams. It was something that we waited quite a bit for. I know it took some time to finally get into it, but uh, I'm glad we finally uh, dug deep into it. That being said... There is some news that did break out uh, regarding a potential proposal. I, I want to get into it so badly right now, but we're going to save that for next episode. It is late Sunday morning, approximately 1.30 a.m. We had to continue this episode uh, shortly after the Tony Gwynn interview. So there's going to be a lot to talk about on the next episode coming up. 
when we record on Thursday night at our normally scheduled time. Uh, that yeah, being I mean, said, we're, we're close to baseball, man, maybe. we Baseball is right around the corner if this deal goes through. We're not getting into it right now. Final thoughts? Let's go. Thank you, Tony, for coming through with that interview. Really appreciate you to have him on. And you know what? Full season, Dodgers World Series champs, plus 325. I'm taking that bet all day. Yeah, thanks again. Like you said, to Tony Gwynn Jr. for being on. Man, that was, you know, being from San Diego, growing up here my whole life, being a Padres fan my whole life, looking up to his dad, you know. And, man, speaking of looking up to his dad, <laughs> that guy did it more than me. So getting to talk to him for a while was a treat, and can't wait to see what we got in store for next week. Yeah, shout-outs to Tony Gwynn, too, man. You know, I'm a Bleed Blue Dodger fan. I, I love the Dodgers to death. Every time I go to Petco, I always visit the statue, man. I always go up to Tony and kind of give him a toast. and. Uh, uh, even just being in that statue's presence just makes me feel so good. I absolutely love Tony Gwynn. So shout out to Tony Gwynn Jr. for doing the interview. I'm happy we all broke down our favorite teams this week. And all I can say is go Dodgers, baby. Thank you to Tony Gwynn. That was an amazing interview. And glad we were finally able to talk about the Dodgers and Dodgers. Um, can't wait for the next episode. And we have some more Stadium Beer Bros logos. Uh, the A's and the Mets were the logos we were able to do this week. And I'm not sure which one we're going to do next week, but just stay tuned. Zach signing off here. Thank you for everyone tuning in this week. We had a really exciting guest on Tony Gwynn Jr. I truly enjoyed getting to talk to him for an hour, pick his brain a little bit. It's funny because he grew up around, you know, the same area, North County, San Diego that I did. Went to high school at a different time, had a little bit of a different experience. But even still, there's just so many um, parallels and there's so many things that are very similar about growing up around here. His dad was an idol. He's a legendary baseball player, but he's also a legendary person. Uh, I had a blast talking NL West, especially this episode, capping it off with Dodgers Padres. We're going to get in some good content all summer. It's not going to end here. And I'm just super excited to just keep this train rolling. Be safe out there. The world's a crazy place right now. We're going to make it through this, and hopefully we can give you some content while you got to be chilling at home. Back to uh, what Zach said. The world is crazy out there. You guys be safe, and I want to take this opportunity to sort of be a voice for the voiceless. We've always been silenced, especially those who do have a platform. It's always stick to sports, stick to this, stick to that. I want to make it very clear, you guys, there's a lot going on right now regarding the protests, regarding the violence going on in the world right now. MLB Trash Talkers, Stadium Beer Bros, Los Chingones, we absolutely condemn racism. We condemn bigotry. We do not accept that in any way, shape, or form. Absolutely unacceptable in this world. That will not be tolerated. I want to make that very clear for those listening right now. And if you want to tell us to stick to sports, stick to whatever it is, or to shut up, we will not. We will continue to use our platform to be a voice for the voiceless. And whoever disagrees with it, that is your opinion. But I want to continue to use our platform to give those an opportunity for equality in this world. And that being said, you guys, it's been a great opportunity to speaking with Tony Gwynn tonight. And of course, breaking down our Padres and our Dodgers. I wish you guys all the safety. I wish you guys all the best. Thank you all. God bless.